Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop war games, and tabletop role-playing games. I'm your host, Troy. My pronouns are he, him. Yay, and I'm Ed. I'm the one with pronouns that have they and them. And today, we're going to be talking about Rangers of Shadow Deep. Going Shadow Deep! A solo-slash-co-op miniature game by Joseph McCulloch that came out in 2018, and it has been one of my go-to things for the course of the pandemic and the staying inside lockdowns and the not being able to play games in person with people. I'll also say, uh, Joseph McCullough, my second lord and savior after uh, uh, the guy who invented magic and now Richard Garfield. There it is. I knew it. I saved it. Have you accepted Richard Garfield as your personal savior? Yes, I have, because I am still playing trading card games reasons buy this cardboard and uh, something something bread of life yes I, I don't know where that metaphor is going i don't either i'm i'm caffeinated it's early let's podcast yay so before we really get into the main topic up for this week we have a segment that we like to call the week in hobby 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 nice reverb thank you had kind of a crappy week, and it ended with a gigantic binge of painting. I finished off the Large Lads, which are the Sentinels for the Dark Souls board game, and in my insanity, decided to freehand a tile pattern floor for the uh, bases. How'd that go? It went better than I could have possibly imagined. Nice. Got into, like, an absolute zone state. And my wife came back and she's like, can you help me bring stuff in from the car? And I'm like, okay, but then I need to go back to working because if I don't finish this now, I'm going to like, I'm going to lose the zone and it's not going to be as good. And I was correct because I came back the next morning to do a couple of others that are on smaller bases that have the same tile pattern and they weren't nearly as good. But I think just getting more practice with freehand, they're going to look better over time. Started a new experiment for Song of Ice and Fire. Because in theory, I like large army games. In practice, I don't like large army games unless they're like six millimeter style because that's a lot of dudes to paint. So I'm trying to paint my Lannisters by essentially sticking them all to the movement tray and just not taking them off. And if I can't reach a spot with a brush, then you're probably not going to see it anyway because they're on the friggin' movement tray. So... We'll see how that goes. It's going okay so far. They're probably not going to look great, but unless they're like the big cavalry bros or one of the named characters, I'm probably not going to try and spend a whole lot of time on them because I have played both strains of Warhammer and that late, that way lies insanity. Yeah, you're painting them to gaming table standards rather than like display standards. Yep, which goes against every painting instinct I have because I'm... I tend to go all Kubrick and want to make every model a masterpiece. And that's why things don't get done. No, this fantasy battle must be filmed on set. We're going to Middle Earth, boys. But fortunately for Song of Ice and Fire, I guess the gaminess of it kind of helps because all the infantry units are standard at 12 dudes. All the cavalry units are four dudes. So... It's not like I'm going to spend a whole lot of time painting one group of orcs that's like 40 guys, and then I have three more to go because orcs are like five points each. It's just like, this is your 12 dudes, you ram them together, and then 
you use your character abilities and your action cards to screw with the other player while they fight. That's kind of how the game runs. So hopefully it won't be as drawn out and agonizing a project as uh, doing some of the Warhammer stuff is. Yeah. And then started to make a little bit of progress on post-apocalyptic Ukrainians, found some suppliers, particularly uh, Anvil Miniatures. They make some interesting stuff. So that'll happen eventually. And then a game happened in person. And I guess that's my handoff to you. Yes, because we got together in person for some games. Vroom, vroom, bitches. Just the one game. And it was Gaslands. And a game of Gaslands that took surprisingly forever to play. (laughs) Yeah, it took a long time. I think that was mostly down to the scenario we picked. Because we picked the monster hunting scenario. Uh, If you want to know more about Gaslands... We did a whole episode on it. Go listen to it with your ears. Yeah, uh, if you're on Spotify, you can just scroll down the playlist until you find the one labeled Gaslands. If you're on some other podcast listening system... Do it their way. Do it their way, yeah. Scroll up, scroll down, scroll sideways. Scroll backwards. Search Gaslands, Knoll Country. And yeah, it was it was still a lot of fun. It took longer than we wanted. But... It was fun. I think part of that, and this is speculation on my part, is that perhaps the game table setup that I did was not the best. The setup recommended creating an arena, so maybe I shouldn't have put some big terrain right in the center that kind of blocked stuff and forced people to go around. Maybe? I don't know. I feel like if we had moved that and had smaller terrain in the center, it would have been easier to like get to the place where everything was going nuts that's a possibility i think also just in general we need a bit of a bigger table for gas lands than we normally use because i think we because we have just a little card table and we tend to get jammed up pretty easily but that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes with how our space works out yeah i think it would probably be better if we were playing on a four by four table unfortunately i don't have a four by four folding table one of these days when we can finally play in my garage, I don't know how big my folding table is. I think it's three by five or maybe four by three. It's a, it's a good size. What you need to do is you need to get some big two foot by four foot plywood boards. Because you have a house where you can store those now. Also true. I live in an apartment and cannot store large random boards to be used for game tables. I also have a like green folding card table top. I don't really know quite what it is. I got it at Goodwill for like a dollar, but it folds up and fits on the folding card table pretty well. Uh, I I measured it once and I'm blanking on how big it was. But it's probably a good size for Gaslands. We just need an appropriately appropriately sized mat to go over it unless we want to be driving on AstroTurf. I mean, driving on AstroTurf's not the worst, I guess. That's how you get Gaslands football. I'm going to say that would probably be fine for stuff like uh, Rangers of Shadowdeep or... Yeah, I was using it for my uh, Song of Ice and Fire demo. Yeah, probably be great for that. Even for... um... This is not a test. Why is the grass so plastic? Radiation. 
Gaslands was fun. We had teams of... I think I was playing as Slime. Uh, our other friend was playing as Rutherford, which are the military guys. And you were playing as... Who again? I was Maxine. The, the car ballerinas, because I drive like a balls-to-the-wall maniac, and being able to swing the car from the front end rather than about the center is very helpful. Yeah, my big thing was that... Um, you just crashed into everything? Oh, yeah, I, I had rams on both of my cars. So I was able to just, like, head-on super high-speed ram into people and to have a great time with that. That was... Uh, getting up to gear five and just side-swiping the crap out of people was amazing. And then big chain reactions of cars into monsters causing explosions. Yeah. Oh my god, I think we may have even forgotten some of the acid blood on the monsters towards the end. That probably caused more explosions than we thought about. Probably. Eh, it doesn't matter. Everybody exploded at least once. Everybody died, the monsters died, the crowd approved. That's how Gaslands goes. The crowd died. <laughs> yeah. I also ran two role-playing games in my Eberron campaign. In the first one, the players set about investigating, by breaking in, the manner of a local lord that they suspected of, like, killing his brother and taking the position away from his, the nephew, and they're working on the nephew's behalf. Uh, they attempted to do it, and then... So they broke in, got into the manor, started, like... Looking around through a study and like a chart room and found some interesting evidence. And then a new player came and delivered a late, like, did a late night package delivery, which the guard, like, made him wait in the main hall while the Duke himself came out to get it, causing the party to, like, have to hide from the Duke. And then they went into the Duke's bedroom to search for more evidence and failed the stealth check miserably. To do so quietly. What? <laughs> you, you shouldn't be in my bedroom. No, the Duke was in the main hall, but... They rolled a one on the stealth check to investigate a thing quietly. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. You start just yanking stuff out of the wardrobe and throwing it on the ground. And you kick over the table to see if there's anything underneath it. What is this ruckus? They started trashing the place and... The Duke ordered a guard to go investigate, so they attacked the guard, which he he ran and shouted, Intruders! I mean, they technically are committing burglary, so you might as well make it look like burglars were there. They were trying to be sneaky about it, but, you know, at this point, they were kind of found out. The other, the new party member who had been doing a delivery, uh, this was his first time joining the group. It's my first day. Well, so he was doing a delivery here, and the Duke started acting very sketchy when the item arrived. And so he was like, uh, I, I, I don't know if I should actually give this to you. And so when the intruders happened, he tried to leave, and the Duke started chasing after him, and it turns out the Duke is a high-level druid. <laughs> so, uh, dude got turned into a hedgehog briefly. Nice. Yeah, it, it, they did eventually manage to escape. The warlock finally got off a proper banishment, and the duke vanished for a minute. 
Um, their current thing is that they're, they're going to take this evidence to the king. And then we'll see where that goes. It probably won't get into the trial by combat that I repeatedly mentioned to them. <laughs> this is where we this is where we need the uh, sound drop of Rudy Giuliani saying trial by combat. Yeah, that's uh, I've got to give him an actual chance to fight the Duke again, right? Who doesn't want to fight a high level druid? Uh, people who who don't people who respect nature. I don't I don't know. Animal lovers, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. What are you, some kind of hippie? Uh, the other group was sent on a mission to the city of what? Greywall? Greywall, yeah. Which is like a monster in a monster kingdom. So there's all sorts of non-human races going around. Are the walls actually gray? Yes, it's made of stone because it's up in the mountains. The thing is, the party consists of a warforged, a tiefling, a dragonborn, and a shifter. Because they're in Eberron. I mean, that's a pretty monstrous party they'll fit in. Yeah, they fit right in. No one's, like, getting up on them for being humans or elves or whatever. So so they just wander around and they're like, wow, this is actually kind of nice. I like this place. Then they noticed that there was an arena with, like, nightly blood matches. And so they signed up. Okay. And fought in the arena. As one does. And bet a shitload of money on themselves. Just just a casual bit of manslaughter. The party is now seriously wealthy. <laughs> Sounds like they need uh, some wealthy people problems. They, they're they going to have some... I've got some ideas for ways to, like, get them to invest that money so they don't just have 2,000 gold on hand. <laughs> What is, what is the Eberron equivalent of NFTs? I don't know, but they're presumably fungible. <laughs> but in, in any case, they're in the city to meet an information broker, which is going to happen next session. And that will involve, well, information broker and enemies of the information broker. And eventually them being, you know, getting the information they want, but also being sent to go do a favor for the broker. <laughs> I've got all your gold. Now you know why they call me a broker. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not. In any case, that should be an interesting setup there. Keep them busy. Line up for the next quest line that I've got thought out for them. Party time. It'll be all good. The The arena, I mentioned it and they're like, we're going to go fight in the arena. And I'm like, oh God, I got to pull up an arena map now. <laughs> Luckily, I had one on hand because I thought that other party might get into trial by combat. <laughs> Combat everywhere. Speaking of combat and trials and nature, I guess we talked about nature briefly. Rangers of Shadow Deep, the main topic for this week. Woo! So, like I mentioned, Rangers of Shadow Deep is a single player slash co op game from Joseph McCullough, author of Frostgrave, among other things. Yeah. Originally published in 2018. It's a follow up spin off of indie skirmish war game Frostgrave. You can listen to our episode about that if you want to learn about wizards duking it out in the frozen city of Feldstadt. But Rangers is a very different game because it's, like I said, it's so single player slash co-op. It's 
inspired heavily by Tolkien and Aragorn and the Rangers of the North. Yeah, when I first read it, I got big Lord of the Rings vibes off it to the point where for a while I was looking for uh, some uh, Rohirrim soldiers to use as Rangers, but I just never got around to it. Those would be a really good choice. Yeah, I think one of the war games for Lord of the Rings has like Rangers of the North as a unit that you could probably use. I think so. I didn't, I don't remember being as hot on those ones as I liked the, uh, kind of like Viking ish style of Rohan. So it's like, eh, they weren't close enough. We'll talk about miniatures for the game and how wide open that is. You can use whatever you want. It also draws heavily from like a wide range of fantasy sources because it's a high fantasy game. The core conflict that the game concerns itself with is between the kingdom of Alador and the forces of evil, specifically a mystical creeping darkness full of monsters and cultists and dark wizards, necromancers and stuff known as the Shadow Deep. Players take the role of a ranger and their companions and set out on missions to preserve the kingdom and vanquish the forces of evil. The general rules are very simple, having basically the same setup as Frostgrave. Most rolls are just a d20, either opposed d20s for combat, or against a specific number for a skill check or event. Dice are modified by characters' skills, whether it's in combat or in tracking or in ancient lore, and it, it, it moves pretty quickly. You can typically roll the die, add the numbers, and determine immediately who wins. Each turn of the game starts with the ranger phase, where the ranger and a handful of nearby companions get to activate, do their stuff. Then the monster phase, where all the bad guys on the table activate in order of who is closest to a good guy model. Then the companion phase, where anybody who didn't activate with the ranger gets to go. On their turn, a character gets to move and take an action. Actions can include... Attacking, casting a spell, performing some sort of skill check or interaction, or moving again at half speed. Rangers are kind of the core element of the game. Your specific character is going to be a ranger. And you can develop them in a number of different ways. They're warriors, they're spellcasters, they use magic equipment and advanced skills... And you get to pick from a huge list of things to give them. Do you want them to be really good at hand-to-hand -hand fighting and wear heavy armor and a shield? Do you want them to be really good at archery and, you know, use a bow and also just have a weapon in case the enemy gets too close? Do you want them to focus on magic and have a bunch of different spells? Do you want them to focus on skills and have the ability to do a bunch of different, like, one-time use effects? These are all choices you get to make. I think the list I end up making was mostly archery. And that's a valid strategy. In true ranger style. I personally have a hand-to-hand -hand combat ranger who basically tag teams stuff with some of the companions. The companions are the people who go alongside your ranger, and they specialize in one thing. Whether it's a rogue that has skills, arcanists that have magic, trackers that do, like, outdoors checks, or the various types of warriors, barbarians who 
are lightly armored but have hand weapons. Knights who are heavily armored with like a weapon and a shield. Swordsmen who just have swords. Um, archers, crossbowmen. Various types of companions, each of which has a very specific like loadout and a specific cost. Um, you can build depending on how like good the companions are. You typically have a group of like four to six at any given time. Uh, the ranger can only bring along a certain amount equal to his leadership value and cost. And if you have a group of multiple rangers, uh, if you're playing co-op, the amount of companions they get is substantially reduced. I think my list was two rangers and a bird. Yeah, um, that seems about right. My list typically is the ranger, a barbarian, a knight, a swordsman, a rogue, and a warhound. So I have five people plus a dog, essentially, in my list. It works out pretty well, but the game has so much variety in ways to approach a problem that it it's up to the player as to how they want to do stuff, which is a big factor in its favor in my my yeah, in my book. The other thing, of course, is who do your ranger and companions fight? They fight monsters. From skeletons to zombies and ghouls to giant spiders, cultists and Terror Wings, which is sort of a generic term for a giant winged monster. You could use a demon figure, you could use a dragon figure, you could use Mothman. Need a cliff racer model. The ultimate winged terror. That would definitely be the ultimate winged terror, yes. Um, I've got a nice little red dragon that I think I will probably use when I get to the encounter of a terror wing. The one real fun thing is that the, like, foot soldiers of the Shadow Deep are gnolls. Gnolls! Go, gnolls! Presumably because using goblins and orcs is really overdone in fantasy. So having the, like, generic footmen be hyena guys is a, diff a little bit of a twist. Plus... It's an indie game. You can use whatever you want. If you have already a bunch of goblins and orcs that you want to use instead, nothing is stopping you from using those instead. And then the real meat of the game is the missions. Unlike most skirmish war games, the missions are set up as a series of scenarios that tell a story. A, like, linear story. You do A, B, C. These can range from hunting for a werewolf to investigating an abandoned village to delving into a lost monastery or hunting down an evil wizard. Typically, it's a sequence of several scenarios with different boards and monsters on each that you have to, like, do a specific objective. For example, there's one where the first mission involves traveling down a staircase that leads down a rocky cliff, and there's a variety of monsters that will appear and attack your team as they travel down this staircase. Stair monsters. Uh, it's giant flies, for the most part. The real danger is that it's a cliff, it's nearly vertical, traveling down it can be 
tricky even if you are on the stairs. So the environmental hazards are quite a bit. And then the next mission in that scenario involves crossing a swamp because you get to the bottom of the stairs and there's a swamp there and you cross it and you get ambushed by swamp zombies. Don't look into the lights. Yeah, do, don't follow the lights is all I got to say there. And then there's another one where you get to like ambush a camp of gnolls or whatever. So each one can be very different and require very different choices and abilities that from your rangers. And because this is a like story game, each mission has a set of random events which are handled either through rolling a d20 at the end of each round or from drawing or by drawing from a deck of cards. I like the deck of cards because it means that each random event will only happen once. And you can also do some st cool stuff about like adding in different cards as the danger level increases and things like th of that nature that help push the story element of it. Keep the story moving. Another cool thing is because this is a story game, it has a very strong progression system. Completing a mission grants experience for the rangers and progression points for companions. The exact amount of experience is going to depend on what objectives you accomplish in the mission, how many enemies you kill, whether you find all the treasure or all the points of interest in the mission, so on and so forth. Rangers can improve stats, gain new skills or spells, and get generally tougher and better at their jobs. Companions get much weaker versions of the same rewards, and it takes a lot more missions for them to get them. For example, my ranger is level like six or seven at this point, and my companions are mostly level two. Now, the models. We mentioned that this is an indie game. It does not require people to use any particular set of miniatures. There is an official range produced by North Star military figures, the same people that do the miniatures for Frostgrave, and... It's a mixture of plastics and the occasional, like, cool little metal figure. But given the wide variety of foes you can encounter and the potential for so many different types of rangers and companions, any fantasy minis work for this game. My ranger band is made up mostly of Song of Ice and Fire models. Uh, I like the darker fantasy aspect of them, and they're coherent. I use them all from the same faction, just like modified to have different weapons and armor and stuff. So it looks like it's, they're all from the same kingdom. That being said, the monsters I use comes from a huge variety of different sources. So it's just whatever I have available that sort of fits with what's supposed to be in a scenario. But I've seen people playing using Legos. <laughs> nice. Mon for their rangers and monsters and terrain. And I've seen people play using tokens and drawing terrain on a whiteboard. Also works. This is a game where it's really cool if you put a lot of effort into building terrain and painting miniatures and monsters and setting up a board to do the scenario in this incredibly cinematic and beautiful way. But you can also do it 
without any painting skill or purchasing models or anything if you just want to play the game aspect of it. Yeah, I think most of mine are Reaper minis who look vaguely similar. Yeah, I've got some Reaper minis as well. I've used them in missions where NPCs are required. Uh, I've also used some of the official like whiz kids dungeons and dragons npc models that they put out for that i have a thing of like town folk that work really nicely yeah i've got a couple i have a couple of them that i got for npcs yeah they're perfect for that so what do i think the best part of the game is the single player nature what really makes the game stand out is not the mechanics, because the mechanics are the same as in Frostgrave. Not the setting, which is interesting, but very generic. The good guy kingdom, the creeping, encroaching, magical darkness and corruption and evil of the Shadow Deep. It's, it's all quite generic, because it draws from so many sources, and because it's meant for you to play your own story in having incredibly deep setting lore is not would not be a strength just do as you will yeah it's designed for you to create your own story and to create your own background for your characters and you can do what you want with it so the setting is pretty generic fantasy the mechanics are solid but nothing special nothing new what really makes it work for me is the single-player nature. The AI-driven monsters and mission-based structure of the game make it one of my favorite things that I played during the pandemic. And how much the story can change, or the story that you tell can change depending on how the ranger approaches a scenario, what sort of ranger and companions you bring, how the monsters react, what events are triggered. I had an instance where I was doing my thing. I was investigating some houses to find out if, you know, there were going to be monsters and to find out what had happened to an abandoned village. And one of my companions opened up the door and found a zombie inside. Brains. Oh no, this was going to go horribly wrong. The random encounter at the end of that round was that one of the houses collapses. So I rolled to see which structure it was. It was the one with the zombie. <laughs> the guy opens the door. There's a zombie. He goes, oh my god, a zombie! And then the house collapses and kills the zombie. Nice. It just generates its own story sometimes. Emergent gameplay! Yes, it has a lot of emergent gameplay and a lot of narrativism for a war game. It is probably the most narrativist war game that I know of because the focus is on the story more than it is on the simulationist element, which there's basically none of, or on the gamist element, which there is a decent amount of because you are trying to not lose your ranger to the forces of evil. But the focus is telling a story with that ranger. And sometimes that ranger getting in a last ditch battle to like save his allies and flee the board is your story. You don't have to win every single mission, uh, every single scenario in a mission to complete the mission. It tells you what happens if you kind of fail. 
Just a little bit of failure. Yes, just a little bit of failure. Some failures are more important than others. If you if you fail certain missions, it gets real bad for you and your rangers have a hard time in the future. But you kind of know what those missions are because usually it's the like climactic one. When you're on top of a tower fighting a death knight and trying to prevent him from lighting a funeral pyre for a still-living guardsman, you know that shit's going to get real bad if you lose. It's for all the pennies. Yeah, you're in for you're playing for all the marbles. And yeah, I think it's a really solid game. I like that there has been a con- been continued support for it. The core rulebook of which there have been several editions has four major uh missions which each of which has two to six scenarios inside of them. So there's a sizable amount of gameplay available just in the core book. And then there are expansions. There are a whole bunch of like little mission packs that give you new things for your ranger to delve into. Um, Ranging from Blood Moon, which is sort of a one-off about hunting werewolves, to Across the Wastes, I think is the most recent, which is about embarking on a long journey, searching for aid for the kingdom and crossing a wasteland. To, um, I think there's one called Temple of Madness. Yeah, Temple of Madness. Uh, the Incinerator is one where you are escaping from a death trap. There's a bunch of different options, so you can continue to build a story for your ranger and their companions beyond just doing a couple of things. Um, and there keep there is more stuff that keeps getting added. There was an expansion, I think last year called the menagerie, which added new animal companions and some new enemies that are like beast master types. And it came with, I think two more missions. So these keep getting published. Uh, usually they're published on drive through RPG so that all you have to do is download the PDF and then I guess print it off. If you want a hard copy. Yeah, I got a, the expansions that I have, I got them off of uh, my Kindle. I think they are, these ones were published by Osprey originally. Yeah, um, I, the game has been published by a few different people, but you can get them on DriveThruRPG, you can get them on Kindle, you can get them in a bunch of different places. Uh, I know they've done a full translation of the core rulebook into Spanish. Espanol! See, and there is also a thriving fan community uh, with Reddit pages and a Facebook group, and they publish their own fan-made missions and scenarios. Snap. Uh, so if you want to adventure into different things, stuff that is varied in quality, some of them are quite interesting, some of them are maybe laid out not in the best way. Which I understand because not everyone is a layout specialist or a, like, game writer. Even though Frostgrave, I think, is still my, like, all-time miniature game, I do appreciate that Shadowdeep has that narrative element, which has started to kind of worm its way into Frostgrave. But at the same time, Frostgrave is so married to the concept of getting treasure 
that they can't really seem to break away from that very much. And is like the one thing that I would want to see change a little bit in Frostgrave. I think the way you would want to do it in Frostgrave is that you would want to set up a thing where instead of treasure, you're gathering clues. And then at the end of your several mission things, whoever has the most clues is the one in the best position to get the big treasure. And this could very well have changed because I haven't read some of the more recent or I guess like thematic expansions, but there's one where you're like exploring an old magical school. And then uh, there's one where like chaos demons start showing up again. And I think the most recent one is about vampires but so that could it could have changed and I could just be talking absolute nonsense, but I'm pretty sure they're all they're all still kind of reliant on that uh, treasure gathering mechanic. But I could be wrong. Well, I think part of the reason for that is that in Frostgrave treasure is how you like refuel your warband. Yeah. In Rangers of Shadowdeep, not so much. Your you can replace companions at the end of a mission, but not between scenarios inside of a mission. Essentially, when you get back to the kingdom, you can just recruit people for no real monetary cost. The kingdom is paying for all of this shit. You will be paid in glorious death. That's all we can guarantee. Occasionally, inside of scenarios, you can grab people to help you. Congratulations, you've been drafted. Well, you'll run into a thing where, like, you're defending a village from an onslaught of monsters, and there's a local knight who is also there, and you can attempt to make a leadership check, and if you do, turns out he has a couple of squire companions that'll help you. That sort of thing. Oh no, I rolled a one and insulted the knight, now we have to fight him. Well, you're screwed. And, you know, if you do that and the knight survives at the end, then adding the knight as one of the companions the next time you play a mission would certainly be a reasonable thing to do. Emergent gameplay and storytelling. Woo! It's a thing. So, yeah, I find Rangers of Shadowdeep to be really, really good. It's one of the games that I feel like has the highest ceiling for creativity because you can do a whole lot of stuff with it i've seen people hack it to make it like sci-fi themed rangers of the interwebs i've personally like worked on a version where you would flip it and you would be like the monsters of shadow deep go on the dungeon keeper route no, no, no. You would play as like a special forces unit of the bad guys. And you would be the ones attacking the human village or guarding a thing against the rangers as they showed up. Pillage and burn. I haven't really like finished balancing that out or testing it, but I kind of want to make that work and put that into one of the like the Facebook group or the Reddit group as when I get that sorted out and finished. Because I think that would be a cool, like, twist on it. And you wouldn't have to get new miniatures, because you already have all the monsters. And you already have rangers and good guy miniatures. 
minis for days. So yeah, Rangers of Shadowdeep. I think it's really good. I think everyone should go out and play it right now. I've not nearly played it as much, but I will second that motion. In fact, I'm just going to end the podcast and go play it. Where did I put my guys? I'm around here somewhere. Um, Mine are in a box. I have Karen the Ranger, Karen's little sister, uh, the bird with no name, and then some random beasties. I've got like giant rats, giant snakes, giant spiders, and giant leeches for some reason. Yes, my ranger, uh, Jean Hawkwood, is and his companions. Uh, ready to rock and roll. And I've got a few more new guys that I'm working on. Uh, spear and shield guy, uh, tracker kind of guy who's holding a torch, you know. Some replacements. That sounds like rock and or roll. Yeah, some replacements or new hires as I get more levels. I'm going to need to see a resume for this quest. Well, the only person that has died in my group of companions was the rogue. He got killed pretty damn good at the end of one of the main missions. He wasn't being rogue enough. Well, everybody else was like wounded and he ran ahead to open a door and it turned out there were a bunch of monsters on the other side of that door and he could not handle them. Oh no. And the monstrous habit of attacking whoever has the lowest health meant that he got curb uh, stomped. Owned. He was avenged by the knight and the barbarian, though, so all's well that kills well. Should be the barbarian uh, motto. Yeah. Um, I, think it, I think the barbarian's name is Bjorn Blackhand. Bjorn! Yeah, he's fun. He's done very well. Same with the knight. Sir Percival? Sounds like a knightly name. And then the the lady man-at-arms, who has also done quite well for herself. And the warhound, who gets knocked out every round. Knocked out every session. No, not the dog. Uh, The dog has less health than all the humans, so it's the first thing the monsters attack. A little bit of emergent gameplay there, I guess. But yeah. Rangers of Shadow Deep. Good game. We have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner. And today we're going to talk about Coup. Coup is a card game for three to seven ish players. It's very simple, very kind of small thing. Each person gets two face down cards that have a specific character on them. There are only like three of each character. Uh, there's six or seven different characters. There's three of each character in the deck. And each one has certain abilities. The goal is to knock the other players out of the game by making them reveal and discard their face-down cards. If you have no face-down cards, you lose. Um, In order to... force someone to reveal a card, you have to either use card abilities that directly attack them, or you have to get a bunch of money, 
I believe it's seven coins, and instigate a coup, which automatically and unstoppably forces somebody to flip one of their cards face up and discard it. I swear I'm not plotting a coup. You can't prove it. Well, as you accumulate funds, it becomes very obvious who is about to commit a coup. Because once you have a certain amount of money, you have to commit a coup. You cannot just stockpile coins and wait. The thing is, because you can only ever have two face-down cards, you can lie. Uh, and, and okay, because you can only ever have two face-down cards, and because the cards are face-down and other people don't actually know what you have, you can lie about what cards you have and attempt to use the abilities of cards that don't belong to you. Like I said, not planning a coup. The thing is, if other people call you out on that, and you are lying, you lose a card. So there is a whole cat and mouse hidden identity kind of the aspect of the game that plays out rather quickly. Games, I don't think I've ever played a game of it that lasts more than half an hour. It's a fun game. It has a bit of deduction. It has a bit of screw the leader-ish, but because there's only two cards... You never have a really high-level leader. Um, and again, because there's two cards and like five or six different potential characters, there is no specific one that makes you invulnerable. You can have the one that makes it impossible for you to be assassinated and the one that lets you assassinate other people. But if you have that, then you have no good way of getting money and are vulnerable to coups. Oh no, I've been murdered. If you have the one that makes you invulnerable to assassins, but, like, and, and the one that lets you get more money, you can, like, build up to a coup, but it's going to take you a long time, and you won't be able to stop other people from stealing your money. So there's a whole, like, rock, paper, scissors kind of thing going on with it, where no matter what you have, you're going to be vulnerable in some way, which makes it interesting, keeps the game moving, prevents one player from winning every single time. I really recommend Coup. It's a fun, quick little card game to play. Um, it The rules are straightforward. The cards are nicely designed if you haven't played it give it a shot i have in fact not played it it's usually only like 20 25 dollars as well it's, it's a very small little game little silver box typically so yeah cool that's the board game for the week Woo! i had one for this week and i've totally forgot to tell you oh uh well you can do it next week's yay Next week, when we talk about Greyhawk, the first, the original Dungeons and Dragons setting. I don't think I know anything about Greyhawk. You'll recognize some stuff, I think. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you like us, rate us on iTunes or wherever it is you're listening to us. Um, you can give us feedback, you can hit the like button, you can hit the subscribe button if wherever you're listening has a subscribe button. 
You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Knoll Country. You can follow us on Instagram. We're Knoll Country. We really don't post that much on either of those sites. I, I mean, you can unfollow Elon Musk on Twitter. I recommend that if you follow him for whatever dumbass reason. He's not even funny. He's 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 a dumbass. Yeah. Don't follow billionaires. Yeah, don't follow billionaires. Unless you're trying to eat them. We are an anti-billionaire podcast up until the exact moment I become a billionaire. So so never. We will always be an anti-billionaire podcast. True. Yeah, I think that's about it for me. Ed, anything you want to plug? You can follow me on Instagram at Adam Madness. I'm actually posting some stuff there again. Mostly Dark Souls. I'm very tantalizingly close to being finished with, with the base set. Also, watch me be weird on the Bird website under our handle and donate to your Ukrainian and rainbow charities. Do it now. Go Knowles. Go Knowles. <laughs>